Yeah. How cool. Well, good morning, everybody. So we're starting a December series where we're talking about Christmas, and so today's topic is Jesus, the hope of the world, or Jesus, hope for humanity. I'm so, <laughs> I'm actually so thrilled. I'm so excited to be here sharing the word with you this morning because what a topic, what a way to start leading up towards Christmas than to orientate ourselves towards Jesus, the reason for the season. So I'm really, really excited about that. But have you ever stopped to consider just how unbelievable it is that we all stop and pause our busy lives every week, every Sunday and come here to church? That every week, all around the world, hundreds of millions of people, as different as diverse as what different can be, we all stop all around the world all to express the same thing, all for the same reason, all to say thank you to the same message and say hello to the same person. How unbelievable is it that here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're about to celebrate another birthday. Who else do we celebrate for a history's birthday like that? Like we don't celebrate Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar or Napoleon Bonaparte. We don't celebrate Da Vinci or Dickens or Karl Marx or Luther. We only celebrate one birthday, and that person is Jesus. Jesus Christ. Like, have you ever stopped to consider just how unbelievable it is that here we are 2,000 years later, celebrating a birthday and gathering each week hundreds of millions of people all around the world around this message and around this person, Jesus. It's unbelievable. 2,000 years ago, the message and the person of Jesus spread like wildfire through the first century world. It leaped borders, (laughs) it leaped cultures, it leaped languages. It was uncontainable. It was like a virus that went through empires and infected everything. You couldn't see it, but you could see signs of it everywhere. It was like this intellectual contagion that no one could stop, no one could slow, no one could withhold. It was irresistible. It changed the world, and it's the reason that we're here today, and it's the reason that we're leading up to Christmas to celebrate a birthday. It's unbelievable when you stop to think about it. The message at the time was irresistible. It blows my mind. It's incredible. And that's the reason for the season. It's the reason that we're here today. And the reason why we celebrate it is because that birth wasn't just the birth of another child. It wasn't just the birth of an ordinary human being like you and I, but rather it was the start of a new era. It was the day that hope came to town. It was the day that hope bundled up in the unassuming form of a human baby, (laughs) unassuming as, as an infant, fragile as a child, Hope came to town. Hope came to that, to that stable. Hope came to that manger. Hope came to that nation. Hope came to the world on that fateful day 2,000 years ago. And the reason why we search for hope, the reason why we're so desperate for hope is because through all of human history, the story of mankind has been one of, of searching for hope. Each person, each individual, you and I today, we've got the, the exact same thing in common as those that lived thousands of years before us. And that is is that we all struggle and we all grapple for this thing called hope. We all go searching for this thing called hope. We've all got the same questions that plague us. We've got these questions about, does God really exist? And if he does exist, can he step into my here and my now? Can he step into my immediate and can he intervene and save me? Can he step into my circumstance and can he be a source of comfort and a source of peace? Can he step into my workplace? Can he step into my family and can he do the impossible? We all have the same questions about whether we are good enough because we understand intrinsically within us that there's something wrong, there's something broken, there's something in our soul which goes searching for something more. At youth, we've been asking this question of, is there not more to life than this? 
Because there's something within us, isn't there, that, got, that is aware that something's broken, that there's something disconnect, that there's some sort of separation. And the reason is, is that we are spiritual beings, aren't we? Intrinsically, we've got a spiritual side to ourselves. So we are these spiritual beings, but we're aware that something is misplaced, that there's something that's been displaced, there's been some sort of disconnection that's occurred. So intrinsically, we all grapple with this question of, am I good enough? What is it that's going to satisfy that yearning within my soul? Because we know that our brokenness has disconnected us. And so we grapple with this question of, how good is good enough? If I'm better than my neighbour, does that mean I get... Does that mean I'm a good person, I can go to heaven? If, I, if I'm good enough, if I do enough good works, if I do all the church things, does that mean I'm good enough? Can I get on this treadmill of humanity, right? And can I earn my way? Can I redeem my life? Even if we've got a Christian understanding of the way that life works, there are times in our week, every week, where we feel this guilt and shame because we don't live up to this expectation of ourselves, so we jump back on this treadmill that all of human history was on. And so we're constantly searching for this hope, we're constantly searching for this message of redemption. And so then 2,000 years ago, a message spread like wildfire through the entire known world because at last there was this, message, there was this answer to this question about hope. <laughs> it's such an exciting, it's such a joyful message. And this message was spread all around the, the, the world. This message which was, echo, which was whispered in the dark, in the quiet, it was whispered and it was spread based on three words. Have you heard? Have you heard? That whisper, <laughs> that whisper, that tiny little whisper of have you heard? Have you heard this message of hope? Have you heard this message of Jesus? Have you heard? That whisper echoed around the entire world. And it is the reason that we're here today, 2,000 years later, about to celebrate a birthday. Have you heard? What, what a promise. What an invitation have you heard? To be able to unpack this message of hope and to be able to understand it a little bit better, I want to take us back into the Bible to a guy who perhaps propelled this have you heard movement more so than anybody else in history. And his name was Paul. And he wrote a, le a letter to some people that lived in a different nation and spoke a different language. He, he wrote a letter to modern-day Turkey in Greek. <laughs> And so he wrote this message to the Galatians and there's this verse in chapter 4, verse 4 to 5, which is going to be on the screen, which we're going to use to start off the message today. And Paul writes this, he says, so he's summing up a lot about our faith in these short, simple sentences. He says this, he says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship pretty incredible because what Paul is getting at here is he's getting at that message of hope to which we are here 2,000 years later. He's getting at that message of have you heard which is the result of us here today. But it starts off with that. But when the set time had fully come because again all of human history had groaned, all of human history had yearned for a saviour, all of human history had desired a moment like this. It's why Jeremiah thousands of years ago wrote this. He said, although our sins testify against us, do something, Lord, for the sake of your name. All of human history has grappled with this, concept, with this thought and with this desire to get off the treadmill of having to try and earn better, of, of this desire for salvation, for this desire for a gift, for this desire for hope. And 2,000 years later, the time had fully come 
And so God sent his son. How powerful a thought is that? That God would send his son. Sent. Sent with purpose. Sent. Sent with a mission. That God would send his son in the form of human flesh in order to reconcile the world to himself, in order to bring hope to those that are seeking. Born of a woman. The miraculous birth that we all know the story of so well. The virgin birth, Mary. Jesus had to be born this way because he had to fulfill some of the prophecies. Did you know that when Jesus was born, he fulfilled over 400 prophecies about his life? Or throughout the course of his life, he fulfilled over 400 promises about what would be accomplished through his life. And Christ had to be born in such a way as this, because what he came to do was unique. His mission was unique. He came to finish off what was the old and to bring in a new era and to start something new. And that was the new promise which brought this message of hope. And this is the bit which gets really excited, which I want to spend most of our time talking about today. He goes on to say, to redeem those under the law, to born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That word redemption means paid for. It means paid for at a price. It means that I pay for a price for you, or you pay for a price for me, or in this case, Christ paid a, a price for all of us. And this is the part of the story of hope. This is the part of the Have You Heard movement that captures people's hearts. This is the part which is life-changing. This is the part that is life-giving. This is the part which is hope-enduring and hope-giving. This is the part that had the early century world up in arms. This is the part of the story which threatened so many people of power and politics and religion in Jesus' day. Because Jesus started something new. Jesus started something fresh. Jesus came and he gave the greatest gift that the world has ever known. That gift was grace. And so that's what we're talking about here when it says redeemed under the law, redeemed from the law. One of Jesus' friends, John, saw a perfect picture of this, which described it. And I can just imagine people retelling this story, saying, have you heard this story? And in this case, the story was the one of the adulterous woman. I can just imagine this story sweeping across the known world. Like, have you heard what Jesus did to that woman caught in adultery? Have you heard what happened to that woman? (laughs) whose sin was laid bare for all to see. Have you heard what happened to that woman? Because what happened there, what John saw was a perfect picture of this purpose which Christ came, which was to redeem that was lost and to give hope to a hopeless world. And so the story goes like this. The story goes like this. Jesus and his friends were at a feast. The whole nation was at a feast. And the leaders of the day, those in power, religious and otherwise, they started to become more and more agitated because what they came to realize more and more was that the entire nation was starting to say, have you heard about Jesus? The entire nation was saying, have you heard? Have you seen? Have you come and had a look at? Have you seen this irresistible man called Jesus? And so the leaders became more and more agitated so they decided that they wanted to try and trap Jesus. The next day, as Jesus walks up towards the Temple Mount, as he walks up the southern steps, it's hard for us to really fully comprehend comprehend just how important the temple was to the people of this day. But as Jesus comes up to the top of the, the Temple Mount, on one side of him is the Holy of Holies, right? This is where the presence of God ha- is supposed to inhabit. It, it held like the law, so all the rules and everything that was most sacred about the religion. And over here was the altar where the sacrifices were made for the atonement of sin. 
And so Jesus comes up into this environment, he sits down and he starts to teach. And the religious leaders of the day, they waited for Jesus to reach this point. They waited till he came the entire way into the temple before they un- the scene unfolded. And what they did, for those of you that are familiar with the story, they brought forward a woman and they threw her at Jesus' feet. They threw this poor woman at Jesus' feet and they said, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. And Jesus looks up and he gets up off the ground. And it's like as if the religious leaders of the day are saying, Jesus, she's been caught in adultery. And you know what the law says. The law is just over here. Jesus, if you've forgotten what the law says, we can go and check it. Jesus, if you don't know what the law says, we can go and check what the law says. But the law says, Jesus, that this woman needs to be put to death. That this woman needs to be executed. That this woman needs to be stoned to death. Jesus, we can go and check the law if you need to. Can you imagine being that woman in that moment, terrified? Can you imagine being her thrown down at the judgment seat, right? Your sin laid bare for the entire world to see. A spectacle made of you as part of like some wider picture, some wider play, just powerless and helpless. There was no mercy. There was no compassion in this moment. There was nobody saying, oh, poor woman, tell me your story. Tell me your background. Let me understand how you came to be at this point. Can you imagine how terrified she must have been? How much pain she must have been in? And they said to Jesus, Jesus, what will you do? What what will you do? And Jesus slowly responds. And he says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And then he goes back. He crouches back down, sits, sits down and writes in the sand. And scholars have always sort of argued and sort of wondered and dreamed and been curious about what Jesus might have wrote in the sand that day. <laughs> my favourite thought, my favourite thought is that he might have written something like, it takes one to know one, <laughs> or something like that. But Jesus then looked back up and slowly the crowd of accusers had dispersed and gone away. One by one, the oldest and most and the wisest first, and eventually they pulled away the younger, uh, hot-blooded, red-headed ones as well. But the whole crowd had dispersed, and so Jesus asked this woman, he goes, where are your accusers? And she said, I have none. And then in this beautiful moment, right, in this beautiful moment where Jesus saves her life, Jesus steps in and totally ruins the moment. Jesus completely ruins the moment. Because he steps in and he says, leave your life of sin no more. He doesn't say to her, tell me more about your story and your backstory. But what he says is, I find you guilty, but I don't condemn you. It's kind of like, Jesus, I think you've got this the wrong way around. Like, surely if we're, you are guilty, therefore you are condemned, or you're not guilty, therefore you're not condemned. So, Jesus, I think you've got it upside down. I don't think it can be that you are guilty, but I don't condemn you. I don't think it can be that I'm found guilty of my sin, but yet I can go and sin no more. Something strange is at play here, and something weird is at work, and this weird thing that we see going on here is this incredible thing called grace this incredible gift called grace 
And this is the reason why we have hope. You see, Jesus was all grace and all truth all of the time. Let me say that again. Jesus was all grace, all truth, all of the time. And it's important to understand because without him being all grace and all truth all of the time, he couldn't usher in a new covenant. He couldn't usher in a new agreement between us and God. And therefore, we wouldn't have this great hope to which we're still saying, have you heard 2,000 years later? To really be able to understand this scene, I think the thing that keeps us from truly understanding it is that we don't understand the power dynamic that's truly at play. So let's change this scene up a little bit. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the only one that hasn't done anything wrong, let's put him on his rightful seat as judge, as judge for all mankind. And let's turn this temple into a courtroom, which it was often used of as in anyway. So let's imagine, there's the woman caught in adultery just there, and here's Jesus taking up the, his rightful seat as judge on the magistrate's seat, right? Woman, Jesus, and then over here, right, we've still got the Holy of Holies. We've got the law, and over here we've got the altar. We've got where the sacrifices are made. Jesus, being all truth, looks at this woman, looks at the law, looks back at this woman and says, I find you guilty. You have sinned. You have done the wrong thing. You have done something irreparable between yourself and me. You have done something irreparable between you and God where you've created this separation, you've caused this anguish of your own soul. Jesus is all truth. But then Jesus also looks at this altar and he looks at this woman and he's able to say to this woman, he's able to say, go and sin no more because what he knows is that in a short time, it's going to be his body that rests on that figurative altar, paying the price for her sin. It's going to be Jesus' body on that altar, paying that price for all of mankind, for all of human history. It's the final full stop mark <laughs> in the sentence. And so because of that, he's able to look back at this woman and be all grace and say, go and sin no more. You have a fresh start. You have a fresh life. His mercies are new every day. Anyone that is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus, all truth, all grace, all of the time. This is a picture of the new covenant that Jesus was ushering in. This was a picture of the new agreement between us and God. This is a picture of why we have such hope. It's a picture of why 2,000 years later, continuing this have you heard movement that we're still here today celebrating a birthday. It's this message of grace. It's the unexplainable mystery, the greatest gift of all time called grace. Jesus being all truth and all grace all of the time. And Paul goes on with the, in this uh, verse to the Galatians. He says this last little bit here. He says that we might receive a, adoption to sonship. And he's talking about, of course, being welcomed back into God's family of that separation between us and the King of Kings being removed and us being welcomed back in as royalty where we've got all the inheritances of the King of Kings. And part of the story of Jesus, part of the message of Jesus that perfectly encapsulates that which inspired Paul to write those words, a story that Paul definitely knew of, a story that was recorded by Luke, happened on that cross that we'll talk, that uh, I sort of uh, mentioned, I suppose, when we talked about that altar that Jesus could see himself figuratively upon. So in Luke chapter 23, we see this incredible scene, right, which again just helps us to understand this whole picture 
of hope, this whole understanding of why we come here 2,000 years later at the end of this Have You Heard movement. And here on the cross, Jesus is there in the middle and Luke records that on either side of him are two men, two criminals. And one of these criminals starts to insult Jesus, hurls out insults to Jesus, starts to swear at Jesus and says, Jesus, surely if you're the son of God, you could save yourself and you could save me too. This man, this criminal, is going to go to the grave angry. (laughs) He's going to take out all of his vengeance, all of his um, anger, all of his just crap (laughs) out on Jesus in those final few moments of his life. And then on the other side of Jesus is this other man, this other criminal. And he actually rebukes the first criminal. But what we have to understand as we start to unpack what was said in this exchange over the next few verses is that when we read what people said upon the cross, we have to understand that it wasn't a nice, neat little sentence. We have to understand that it wasn't a nice, neat little paragraph which was said like in a matter of moments. To be able to breathe, let alone speak, took every piece of nerve and strength that you had So to be able to speak, what you had to do is, as you lay there slumping like this, literally drowning because uh, uh, not enough oxygen can get into your lungs, you had to pull yourself up. And to be able to pull yourself up, to be able to speak, took was excruciating, it was the most agonizing moment of your life. And it took all the strength that you had and you might only be able to get out in utterance. And so to be able to string together a full sentence might take a minute, might take a few minutes. So when we, sit, when we read this exchange, we have to understand the pain and the anguish that these men were under. And so this man, this, this criminal on the cross rebukes the other criminal and he says this. He says, Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, this criminal is saying, if the kingdom of heaven is reserved for righteous people, if the kingdom of heaven is reserved for people that do the right thing, if the kingdom of heaven is reserved for good people that are able to climb the social ladder and climb the ladder of good works, then I've got no hope. Then I have no hope. Because this man is here, he's he's on the cross, he's paying the price for his sins, he's paying the price for his crimes, He's got maybe half an hour left to live, maybe a couple of hours if he's lucky, and he's here having an exchange with God. (laughs) And in that moment, what could he possibly do with the rest of his insignificant, meaningless life? What does he possibly have to bargain with for acceptance into heaven? What does he possibly have to bargain with with God to have his life redeemed? It's not like he can very well go, oh, Jesus, look... I really promise that if you give me another chance, I'll live out the rest of my life really well for you. (laughs) He's got 30 minutes left. What could he possibly do? What could he possibly have to to argue with? You know, the the crowd watching this scene would have looked upon this and they must have been so confused. They must have been astonished. They must have thought it was the most ridiculous thing that they'd ever heard because this concept of grace was brand new to the world at that stage. It was brand new. And so this crowd looking at upon this scene, must have been astonished when Jesus actually bothered to answer this man. (laughs) They must have been astonished. They must have asked, why on earth, Jesus, would you even bother to pull yourself up and go through all the agonizing pain of even responding to this man that's hopeless and worthless? 
Why would you even bother to do that? And the answer is very simple. And the answer is because grace always answers. And, and so Jesus, I love this story. I love this story. And so Jesus says to this man, says to this man with nothing to offer, he says to this man who's got nothing left to redeem his own life with, he says, oh sorry, the man says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Everyone would have laughed. Jesus says, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a message of hope. What a message of joy. But how unbelievable, how ridiculous, how stupidly absurd is this story that Jesus would say to a man who's got nothing left to give that I will see you in paradise. How absurd is it that Jesus would promise this man, this criminal that's done nothing but wrong through his life and has received his just punishment, that Jesus would offer this man the same promise that he offered Stephen, a man that went to death praising the name of Jesus. Or that he gave him the same promise that he gave Peter, a man that followed him faithfully for three years. How is that fair? (laughs) How is it fair that there are these men and women through all of human history that have spent their entire life exalting the name of Jesus, praising the name Jesus, doing good works and trying to love their neighbor as their self, trying to live out the great command to love God and to love others. How is it fair? How is it right that God, (laughs) that Jesus in this moment promises this criminal with nothing left to redeem about his own life the same promise that he promises everyone else? It's radical. It's stupidly ridiculous. (laughs) It's irresistible though, because like life, grace isn't fair. Grace is better than fair. Grace is the greatest gift that has ever been given. Grace and truth (laughs) expressed as love in the body of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we have such hope. For that reason, we have such a great hope because we understand that we get this gift. We all are recipients of this thing called grace. We all receive adoption into God's own family through nothing that we can achieve on our own. Our lives have been redeemed through nothing that's of our own, but it was all a gift. Have you heard? Have you heard about this guy called Jesus? Have you heard about this message of hope? Have you heard about this thing called grace? Have you heard about this scene that we saw with this adulterous woman? Have you heard what happened on the cross with that guy who had nothing left to give? And yet, they had such hope. Have you heard? Have you heard? And here we are, 2,000 years later, celebrating the Have You Heard movement because hope came to town. What an unbelievable blessing it is to have heard the name Jesus. What a blessing it is that we are privileged enough to have heard. What a moment in time for us to be able to respond to this message of hope. Jesus, what a name. Have you heard? I 
really feels like I've got this burden on my heart this morning. And so I want you to hear me say this. I believe this is for someone in the room. It may not, not be for everybody in the room. But when you look at your own faith, don't look at the faith of other people in this room today. Don't look at the faith of other Christians that you know. When you look at your own belief system, what you've experienced yourself, don't look at other people's watered-down version of what it's supposed to look like today. Instead, look to this, these stories. Look to the gospel message. Look to this guy called Jesus who was so irresistible that we're here 2,000 years later because of it. If you, When you see and hear of these stories of this incredible man called Jesus, of this incredible message of hope, truth and love if that doesn't fill you with a sense of awe of wonder of of thankfulness of astonishment of joy i'm here to tell you today that there is more to life than this and so my challenge my sorry my invitation more so than a challenge my invitation is that december in the lead up to christmas would you be like the crowds Would you be interested in coming and observing Jesus? Would you be interested in going on a journey of hearing and seeing and experiencing the promises of Jesus, of seeing what this message of hope really truly is? Because let me tell you, there is such joy. There is such joy at the end of this message of hope. Have you heard? Have you heard about this man called Jesus? What a name. What a season. Have you heard? Ben, why don't you guys come on up here just as I finish up? What we're going to do this morning, in a moment, we're going to join the team, we're going to worship, and then I'm going to come back up, I'm going to wrap up with a final thought, and then we're going to go about the rest of our day. Can I encourage you this morning? Can I encourage you that if you feel something stirring in your heart, if you feel something stirring in your soul, as we exalt the name of Jesus, as we talk about a message of hope, can I encourage you just to give it a song of thanks to, to God, a praise of thanks. Why don't you guys all stand and I'm just going to quickly pray and then we'll join the team in a song, hey? Jesus, we just want to thank you. I thank you for this message of hope. I thank you for this new thing that you've ushered in. I thank you for this new agreement between us and you where it's got nothing to do about what I do myself, but rather it's got everything to do about what you have done. I thank you, Jesus, that you are all grace and all truth all of the time. I thank you that you see me and you see my brokenness, you see my sin, you see all the wrong that I've done, but yet you don't condemn me. I thank you that you look upon me and yet you see. You see grace resting on me because of what you have done. Jesus, we just want to honor and praise and worship your name this morning. Thank you, Christ. Just lost in my thoughts there. How great is our God? Let me leave you with these final few thoughts, the Cliff Notes version. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to town. Jesus, the very definition of love. All grace, all truth, all of the time. And he gave the answer to the unsolvable problem, and that answer was grace. And that grace has become the hope for humanity. 2,000 years ago, hope came to town. 2,000 years ago, hope came to town. So my question for you is this. Have you heard?
if today was the first time you've heard that, that message, or it's the first time that you've heard it with fresh ears, or something inside of you is exploding, people in this room would love to talk with you about that, and they'd love to pray for you about that. But can I also encourage you that maybe you can give the greatest blessing to somebody else this Christmas. Maybe you can ask somebody else this Christmas, have you heard? Have you heard this radical, irresistible message of hope for the life of this man called Jesus? Friends, that's it for today. I pray that you guys go away and have a blessed week. And, um... We have such hope, hey? We have such hope.